0: I'm going to uh, shut this off, otherwise it will keep coming up. Okay. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, and this will, yeah, it's because of the uh, nature of the. Okay. Uh, let's just see if we can skip this. Just a little, there. That, and we'll put that in the slideshow. Slide. So there we go. And let's see if we can get this one. Amateur hazard. All right. You, man. I'm just gonna try and rescue you, Ben, here so that you don't trip. Because the last time you went over the wires. Okay, did that happen the last time? Yeah, so uh, this way. Uh, there. <laughs> <laughs> can't leave until it's over. Actually, that does sound difficult, doesn't it? <laughs> Um, let's, uh, let's open with a word of prayer. Thank you, Heavenly Father, that you do bring us together and that your heart is with us. And we thank you for the truths that we see in Scripture and those things that we learn as we seek you faithfully. Let your, let your presence lead and guide us today as we look at some extraordinary truths out of your scripture. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. The, uh, Ten days of awe are the days of uh, the New Year through the Day of Atonement that Jewish people follow right around the earlier time of this year. And um, the, um, uh, the message that I'm going to share today was based around that time. It was given during what's called Shabbat Shuvah which is the Sabbath between the high uh, the, the first high holy day which is the Jewish New Year and the final one, the Day of Atonement. And the great themes of the Ten Days of Awe are these three that you see here not the Zichronot and Shofarot. but what they really refer us to is God's sovereignty remembrance, and shofarot is literally the call of the shofar, the call to unite God's people and, and their purposes, and so these are the themes that we talk about, and thus uh, the, the great theme of this sermon is the sovereignty of God, and there are moments when God will literally stop at nothing to show his sovereignty in your life. There are moments when you are absolutely certain that if God had not not done it, it would not be done. It would not have happened. In 1960, uh, uh, Dr. Edward Brodsky, who was a mentor and friend of mine, uh, along with his wife Nora, uh, went with their two children uh, to California. They were joining a man called Uh, Dr. Lawrence Duff Forbes. Uh, Brodsky was a pioneer visionary in reaching uh, Jewish people through the message of what we today call Messianic Judaism. And uh, Duff Forbes was at the time one of the leading visionaries in this area in the United States. At the time, in 1960, they were all considered crazy by the way, and uh, the, the whole idea of Messianic Judaism was totally rejected even by most Jewish believers. So it was an extraordinary decision because Brodsky was a very, very successful financial planner and he was moving for a whole year from Calgary to California with no income and his Simple purpose was to pursue what God could possibly uh, have him accomplish reaching Jewish people through this new approach, which he felt was the, the approach of the future, and he was quite correct. On the way, his wife was driving up a mountain road. They were driving, as you can imagine, from Calvary through the Rockies on their way down to California. She was driving through wintry weather, the um, uh, trailer right behind them was uh, packed with everything that they needed for one year. And as as she climbed up the road, uh, the car uh, stalled because of the um, slippery, because it was snowing, actually. And uh, to the horror of all the cars behind them, the um, uh, the trailer not only lost grip of the road with the car, but the trailer uh, literally turned, and they, <laughs> they had no way of stopping before the trailer literally pulled them right off the road, off the cliff, and everyone who was watching watched as they literally tumbled off the road, down the side of a sheer cliff, just as like the ones you're looking at. Aghast, people ran from their cars to see what had happened. And there, some... some hundred yards below them the trailer had detached itself from the car and the car had caught on the branches of a tree sticking out of the cliff and everyone inside it was safe they were able to get a a tow truck with a winch and I went them safely back up the road, although everything that was in their trail was gone. There are moments where God's sovereignty is absolute. And that is one of the things we're going to talk about today. In a different kind of way, because the um, the reality of God's sovereignty is something we don't always we don't always appreciate fully, especially when we live. In times as we do, that which are are difficult times, confused times. They're, these are times of uh, of of uh, you know, deep, I think, deep fracturing in the body of Christ. And um, I'm going to take us to Matthew eight, which is an interesting passage. Right after the Sermon on the Mount. And this is a very interesting, this is a very interesting passage. And uh, you need to appreciate why that is. Um, The gospel writer, together with the three other synoptic gospel writers tells a story here. But he has put it here for a purpose and a reason which will come up. So I'm just going to read, we're reading from the King James Version, Matthew 8, when he was come down from the mountain great multitudes followed him. And behold there came a leper and worshipped him saying, Lord if thou wilt thou canst make me clean. And Jesus put forth his hand and touched him, saying, I will be thou clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. And Jesus saith unto him, See thou tell no man, but go thy way. Show thyself to the priest and offer the gift that Moses commanded for a testimony unto them. Now, we read a similar passage in Mark chapter 1. Uh, and because Mark is earlier, it's almost certain that the uh, story uh, is shared between the two gospel writers. But notice it's Mark chapter 1. Just as it's Matthew chapter 8. These are early stories. They are stories that come from an early time in the gospel uh, narrative. You'll see how similar it is. And there came a leper to him, beseeching him, and kneeling down to him, and saying unto him, If thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. Again, notice what the leper does. He completely prostrates himself. The leper declares if thou wilt thou canst make me clean now in both stories you see a very similar attitude the attitude of the leper is you can make me clean notice the certainty in the voice of the leper both cases and then jesus response we would call him yeshua but jesus responds. Jesus moved with compassion, put forth his hand and touched him and saith unto him, I will be thou clean. In both cases, the words are virtually the same. Now, at different times you'll notice and and you're aware that the gospel writers sometimes bring in slightly different textures of, uh, of understanding Sometimes through the words of Jesus, sometimes through the uh, description here, you notice that this is a, there's an added description. Jesus is moved with compassion. But the words are the same, exactly the same. I will. The modern translations usually use the phrase, I am willing. But the point is, he declares, I will be thou clean. And as soon as he had spoken immediately the leprosy departed from him and he was cleansed. once again, Jesus charges him and he sent him forthwith and saith unto him, "See thou say nothing to any man but go thy way, show thyself to the priests and offer for thy cleansing those things which Moses commanded for a testimony unto them Now there's a again. Jesus is specifically giving him an instruction which applies to his disease, which is called here leprosy. But it's not leprosy as we call leprosy. It's something called, in Hebrew, sarat. Sarat is, uh, um, in Hebrew, modern Hebrew, often called sorah. And there's uh, this um, uh, concept here that uh, appears usually in, um, in in Leviticus, where it's talking about mold, it's talking about a whiteness of, of, of disease which happens on the skin, and it's not what we call leprosy. Leprosy is actually uh, got a technical term, Hansen's disease. Uh, that's the... Leprosy literally is the lack of nerves in one's hand, in one's um, body, uh, uh, nerves which will, uh, allow one to um, to function properly. But but sarot is actually more the um, the kinds of conditions that we would assume that we would associate with eczema or psoriasis. Uh, we would consider these today. Different kinds of diseases. I'll talk about them further later. Now, both of these stories apply to the Messiah traditionally. Here in the, um, uh, the Talmud, um, there is a story which Jewish people used to talk about the Messiah. It's a very uh, common story. And it is um, in what we call the agadic tradition. Now, the agadic tradition, now it may seem a little bit technical, but the agadic tradition is actually the tradition of storytelling in Jewish stories, which are meant to inspire us concerning the times of the Messiah. So, in fact, when uh, a, a Jewish uh, student is learning about the Adatik tradition. Literally, the teacher, the 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 uh, Shiva, the the teacher of the students, literally changes his voice. He he he's not talking about legalities. He's talking about future hope. He's talking about what will happen in the times of the Messiah, the times of promise, what we might call uh, the last days and beyond. So here's a story straight out of Jewish tradition. And notice that there's something subtle here to pick up that ties in with the story of the leper. The, um, uh, the story is attributed in the Talmud to a famous rabbi called Joshua ben Weber Now, Joshua Ben Levi is uh, an urgent seeker after the Messiah. That's the the key to the story. He's an urgent seeker after the Messiah, and he is praying constantly for Messiah to come, and by tradition, here's the story. He meets Elijah, and um, now, of course, how can he meet Elijah? Well, He meets Elijah. That's the story. And he begins to ask him, when will Messiah come? Why does he ask Elijah? Because in the very last verses of the very last book of the Old Testament, you'll know that before the Messiah comes, Elijah is to come. That's why uh, the, um, uh, the questioners of Jesus used to ask him if John the Baptist was Elijah. Because before... The Messiah, Elijah, has to come. So he meets Elijah, and he says to him, why is the Messiah coming? Because if anybody knows, Elijah will know. And then he says, by what sign will I recognize him? And that's just as important a question. So Elijah tells him, oh, I can tell you where to find a sign for yourself. You're looking for him? I can tell you where you can find him. Great news! I know where Messiah is! Go to the great city. Now, by tradition, the great city is Rome. Because it's 250 B.C. This is the era where the greatest city in the world is Rome. So, he says, go to the great city and you'll find the Messiah sitting among the poor lepers. Now, that means... He's outside the city, literally by the city gates. And the, the prophet says, you'll find him and distinguish him because he's wrapping his bandages, his, his, uh, he's wrapping his sores, leper sores, one at a time. And the reason he's doing that is normally the lepers will wrap all their bandages together. But he's just wrapping them one at a time because he might be needed at any time and he doesn't want to be delayed. So the rabbi presses the question. So when is he coming? And Elijah says, Today. If you he will hearken to his voice." So this is a fascinating but very elusive story. And it gives us some interesting clues about the nature of Messiah. And these clues are represented in the Jewish traditions, which are in our New Testament. Following the story, by the way, in the Talmud, we have another quote. We, in which the traditional rabbis, we call it Zahau. Zahal is just a way of referring to the traditions of the rabbis. Suggests that Isaiah 53 is a reference to Messiah. And there we read these words. The Messiah, what is his name? The rabbis say, they call him the leper scholar. That's the Jewish way of referring to Messiah, the leper scholar. As it is said, surely he's borne our griefs, carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him a leper. Now notice that is their translation of Isaiah 53. We don't use that translation. Our translation otherwise says we did his esteem him Stricken. stricken, wounded, smitten of God, and afflicted. This is the Jewish tradition about Messiah. That's slightly different from ours. But notice, that's why they call him the leper, the leper scholar. Now this is intriguingly different from our view of Messiah. Messiah. But, but, this was also the tradition in which Jesus walked. Jesus didn't walk in our traditions of Messiah. He walked in these traditions. And in the tradition of his time, the Messiah was the leper scholar. Some called him the leper teacher. This is very different from our way of thinking. But that is the first century way of thinking. About Messiah. We've rarely associated him with a leper. But. Notice. When he comes down from the mountain. And distinctively also in the story of Mark. Who is the first one there. Who insists that he can be healed. The leper. The leper is the one who is at the edge of the crowd saying he is the Messiah. And there's a reason for that. And what is that reason? Why would a leper be associated with Messiah? Messiah. Lepers in ancient Israel were often associated with hopeless, frustration, and despair. As I was pointing out to you, Matthew 8 is in Mark 1, and you'll see it in Luke 5. The disease of common lepers is in reference to the Hebrew term sarat, which we would consider relatively minor skin diseases, psoriasis, eczema, fungal infections, Not the most serious form of leprosy, which is called really Hansen's disease, which is disfiguring and contagious. Um, What you're seeing here, by the way, this picture actually is a medieval depiction of lepers outside a city gate. Notice how they're depicted. You see their sores. You see them. Oh, what he's holding in his hand is a bell. They are supposed to make sure that other people know they're unclean. The concept, though, in Israel about someone who's afflicted, even though uh, we would consider it minor, was not considered minor. Anyone who suffered from one of these conditions, and you may have had something like this, especially if you've gone through a time of stress, psoriasis or eczema can suddenly appear on your hands, some of it can appear on some other part of your body as a sore, as a as a rash, and it and it lingers. It lingers. Um, and it's sustained by the added stress of the of the condition. And there are some modern cures, or relatively modern cures, which which work, but they linger. And in ancient Israel, these were not considered minor conditions. They were considered serious. Conditions and they were also very, very difficult to heal. But the people who had them were shunned. If you were a leper, you were a nobody very quickly, no matter who else you were or thought you were. If you were a leper, you would be pushed out of the community and you were nobody. As soon as as your condition was visible and (coughs) others knew it, and believe me, they would try every cure available. Now, one of the proofs of Messiah is that he was going to cure a person afflicted with this kind of tsara. That was a proof of Messiah. So think about it this way. In Jesus' time, people are looking to know how to identify Messiah. Actually, there are lots of great teachers around, and even miracle workers. There were, there were other miracle workers. Jesus wasn't the only one in this time. But Jesus does this miracle as soon as he comes down the mount from the sermon. On, and very early in his ministry. He heals someone with this particular kind of miserable disease. Now, the misery, as I said, might not seem so terrible to us. But consider this. If you were a leper, you could not pull into a walled city. A walled city was a major city. That meant you could only be in the minor... You could could live in a little town. In other words, you had to live out away from most people. secondly, you could come to spiritual services in such a town but you had to be behind a barrier what they call the pizza and then last uh, well, you had to be the first one to come and the last one to leave so it, it was not a happy situation for that person. And the for the rest of society, you were forbidden to touch a leper. No matter how much or how close you were in relationship, you couldn't touch them. And no one would. And the reason was because leprosy was associated with sin. That's the other key. Leprosy was associated, this kind of tzara is associated with sin and, in particular, transgressions of the Torah, so that, in particular, the leaders of the spiritual leaders of the community would never want to touch you. But the only way, the only way, You could officially change your status is if the Kohen, the priest, saw you and said, you're cured. And that's why Jesus says to the person, don't linger here. Immediately, go to the priest. Show him you're cured. You will no longer be shunned. You're going to be welcomed back into your community. You're going to come back to your family. Your life will be changed. Don't wait. Don't hesitate. Go right now. Jesus is more concerned that the person get the benefits of their healing than rather that they stop and linger and tell people what has happened to them because they're not going to be officially back into the community until the rabbi, not the rabbi, but the Kohen, the the priest sees them. But cures were rare. Cures were very rare. So the only hope of the, the only hope of the leper was Messiah. Messiah was associated with the hope of people whose society shunned. the um, The result was this: people who had these diseases lived in shame. No amount of offerings relieved their illness. The longer one suffered, the more you were sh- in sh- shunned. The more you were in despair, the more you were worried, the, the less likely you were to be healed because there was this cycle of shame and despair. You know, this is the same cycle that people go through when they deal with addictions in our society, when they deal with the kinds of uh, situations that, that they can't deal with alone. And our society is filled with people who be, who are struggling with the same in the same way. We don't officially shun them, but in other ways, those people feel separated from God, and they know they are not welcome in church. And this is even more emphasized because Dr. Luke, you remember, Luke was a doctor. He describes this man in a very specific way. He calls him full of tzarat. So that that emphasizes the whole situation of the leper. In other words, he was covered. Covered with these kinds of sores. Yeshua does what? He comes to Yeshua and What does Yeshua do? That is what is so significant. It's a very important story. Very important. For for the time of Jesus, this is a very important story. And secondly, because all three writers describe it, and even Luke describes it in detail, in in, uh, medical detail. We know it's an event that happened early in the ministry of Yeshua. Confirmed his identity as Messiah. And we also know that every writer repeats the words of Yeshua exactly the same way. Which means that this story has an accuracy about it. That's very distinctive, especially the words of Jesus, I will, I will, be thou clean, for I am willing. When, Je- when Johanna, his cousin John the Baptist, is sending his disciples to ask Jesus, confirm, are you the Messiah? This is what Jesus answered. We we read in Matthew 11, just a few chapters later. Jesus answered and said unto them, Go ye and show John again those things which you do hear and see. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed. The deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the poor have the gospel. The good news preached to them. Blessed is he whosoever shall not be offended in me. Notice The emphasis here is on the healings, and he specifically mentions the cleansing of lepers. We can be certain, then, of a few things. One is, this event certainly happened. Secondly, the words spoken by Yeshua are repeated the same way. This is like an archaeological fragment that's stamped and dated as authentic. This is, this is the point. We are hearing the words of Jesus as certainly as we can ever know them. But what's most important is this. Jesus does what the rabbis won't do and what the priests won't do. He reaches past all the barriers, the The leper comes to him and says, you can make me clean. What would the rabbi do? I can't touch you. What would the priests do? I'm not sure. Show me whether you're cleansed. Jesus doesn't say either of those things. He immediately reaches out, touches him. I will. Yeshua reaches past all the barriers, all the fears, he fully, he fully embodies the hope of those who are hopeless. He reaches past the barriers. There is no barrier of sin that Yeshua does not reach into. Which is, for me, one of the most critical issues in reaching people outside our congregations and churches. Because they feel they're not good enough. Especially those who feel they are not worthy. And this is one of the deepest concerns I have, is that believers can sometimes act, and they can project an attitude that says, we are those who are separated by holiness. The truth is, we are sinners saved by God. And what Jesus is saying to the leper is what we need to say to our generation of people who sometimes feel hopelessly caught in addictions, sin, frustration, and despair over their own knowledge that they cannot save themselves. The cycle of shame is over. Listen to the words of Alfred Edershon. The great 19th century Hebrew Christian writer, he wrote The Life and Times of Jesus the Messiah, one of the most significant uh, encyclopedic um, volumes on the life of Jesus, describing the cry, the heart cry of the leper who prostrates himself at the moment when he is absolutely certain that Jesus is the only one who can heal him. One can understand this lowly reverence, this cry which has so often been wrung from those who despaired of all other help. It is not a prayer, but the ground mode of all prayer, faith in his power, absolute committal of our hopelessness, Helpless need. That is what Yeshua answers. And that, that is why the story of the leper is the story which is a hinge point between the great teaching of Jesus and the practical reality. Your life is worthy to be touched by the king. Your life is worthy even if it seems totally unworthy. I was hearing this story told by the great violinist, Yitzhak Perlman. Perlman is now one of the great violinists of, of our time, and it's hard to believe that one time, he was a young man struggling with polio. He was at the age of 13, still dealing with the after effects of polio. And he was uh, an Israeli kid who um, walked on crutches. He still, to this day, cannot walk on stage on his own. And when he was a young boy, brilliantly talented, some of the great violinists of his time came and heard him, and they said, "Yes, he, he's got the talent. Yes, he's, he plays well. But how can he live the life of a um, of an accomplished soloist? You, you have to travel constantly. There, there's there are constant obstacles in the way. You, you, you have to um, be." You know, mobile, you have to be functional. Uh, How can a kid who's got polo, how can he manage? uh, By the way, will he have the strength to, to do these great performances one after the other, night after night, with all the travel that's involved? And they gave up on him. And in fact, nobody would believe in him. Ed Sullivan, however, went to Israel looking for talent. He found this young boy... And he didn't usually have classical music on his program. None of us grew up watching Ed Sullivan. He didn't usually have classical music on his program. But he brought this kid, 13 years old, who was a polio sufferer, and had him on his show. That's why Perlman suddenly got enough attention, ended up at Juilliard, and despite all those challenges became one of the great violinists of the 20th century and into the 21st century. We need a break. Sometimes we need a break. We need someone to say, you feel hopeless, and your condition may be hopeless, but it's not outside. God's sovereign love for you. God loves you too much to leave you where you are. Jesus did not put limits on his willingness to reach past all the barriers we have to bring healing. He said, I will, and then he touched the man him. He didn't. He didn't step back and say, "Well, I can't touch you." But let's see how this works. <laughs> he touched him and brought him back. And then he said, "Don't linger. Go right to the priest. Go now. Seize hold of your new hope, your new life." <laughs> It's not Jesus' fault. The man was so excited, he wouldn't do it. (laughs) But it's a sign. He went around telling everyone, he is the Messiah. He will do what no one else will do. He can save you as no one else can save you. And think about it. Israel was filled, just as our own lives are filled with people who are stuck in hopeless despair. And Jesus alone became living hope for them. We live in a people, we're in a world where people despair of being good enough for God. And this is the challenge for us before a holy God. You know, we're at a certain time in the life, in Canadian life, where Canadians and, and and uh, start thinking about hockey again. My wife is an American, and she always used to joke, now she watches hockey even more faithfully sometimes than I do. I came down last night, she was watching watching the game, and I, uh, I used to joke with her, well, here in Canada, you know, um, we have, uh, you know, two seasons. Uh, we have hockey season, and then there's two weeks of summer before kind of uh, the hockey season starts again. When you know the uh, you know the the um, uh, the games uh, you know just the uh, the free games is you know uh, the, the preseason games start again, and the hockey camps so. <laughs> up. Derek Sanderson was a player we all grew up with because Derek Sanderson played on one of the great teams that most of us grew up with, and he was at one time the highest paid hockey player, and he was famous, famous. Grew up in uh, Niagara Falls, Stad, Built, Built. Double, built a rink for him. Uh, his father was a vet and built a rink, not just in his backyard, but built it over a couple of backyards. Kid had a lot of promise, and um, they uh, they were able to uh, get him into junior hockey. He rose through the ranks, won the Stanley Cup in 1970 with Bobby Orr and Tony Esposito on the Bruins. And then the WHA gave him the biggest contract in hockey, and Sanderson said this, everything would have been fine if I hadn't taken that $2.5 million contract. Drug and alcohol addictions destroyed his skills. He had he made more than a dozen attempts at rehab, and in 1979, he lay in a field not far from his home, crying out to the Lord, heal me or take. You know, no matter how high you go, when you get plunged into a certain level of despair, you feel like you're nothing and nobody. Heal me or take me. If that isn't the cry of the leper, what is? He went into rehab His friend, his friend, Bobby Orr, didn't give up on him. He went into rehab one more time. He made it. He got into broadcasting. He was there for 10 years. And then he went back to school and he got skills so that he could become a financial advisor to other athletes who were making too much money. Mm -hmm. My friends, your life is worthy to be touched by the king. He is the leper king. He is the one who says, I will. I am willing. Be that clean. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your faithfulness, which is greater than our understanding. And we thank you that you reach past every barrier to reach and touch lives like ours. Those of us who are sinners saved by grace, whether we're in the church or out of the church, whether we're in fellowship or out of, Whether we are high or low. You reach out to us. Help us to receive. Help us to sense your needs. And draw us close to you. And draw us back to you. We pray in Jesus' name. (laughs) I <laughs> do